chairs, the open floor room is working. Up and running, room 110. Um, all right, well, uh, July 4th weekend, um, crazy times, crazy days, crazy weekend. But it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you on Facebook uh, and YouTube and everywhere we're, we're live streaming. Um, it's good to be with you uh, for worship. I, I know that meeting in person um, is a source of hope and assurance and peace. And so sounds like we got my kind of weird mic going on here. Um, for a lot of us. And I know for many of us, uh, you're not ready to meet in person, and, and that is uh, totally fine, and we respect that. And so we're hoping we can provide a good live stream for you. Um, just a quick update on all things uh, related to COVID and coronavirus. We are taking not only meeting in person very seriously, but we're taking COVID very seriously, and, um, and things are changing uh, quickly, uh, daily, weekly. And so... Um, we are in discussion about all of it, taking COVID seriously, taking meeting in person seriously, and wanting to make very wise decisions uh, regarding everything. So just stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe to our email list. Make sure you are following us on social media. Make sure you are sending out text messages, seeing what's going on to stay up to date. Um, there's potential that we'll move back to an online-only service. Um, we'll see. Uh, stay tuned as we pray through it and think through it and talk to medical professionals, city leaders, and things like that. So. Um, if you would, let's head into our uh, service. If you would, stand with me and let's hear this call to worship. Uh, this is based on Psalm 34, verses 3 to 4. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Let's sing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, oh, my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. See, the sun comes up. It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord Your heart is kind for all 
take a moment. Let's pray. Uh, Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for Waco. Let's pray for our country um, and the myriad of things that that we need to seek the Lord about. So uh, if you would uh, bow with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that we can come to you freely. We can come to you uh, with great confidence. We can come to you even as the Bible calls us to come to you with boldness which is just uh, an outrageous thought to think that we could come to you with boldness, um, given who we are, given the kind of lives we live, given the reality, as the Bible calls, that we are sinful and we are sinners and we're unworthy of your presence. But God, we can come to you in confidence and boldness, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of Jesus and because of his righteousness for us and on us, because of your love and your grace and your mercy. And so we thank you. We say we trust you. We don't trust ourselves. We look to you. We don't look to ourselves. We rely upon your power, not ours. Your control, not ours. God, these are um, days and weeks uh, that are turning into months and months that um, each day we seem to realize how little we personally and individually know or how little we can control. And I pray that you would use all of it Um, All of the uncertainty, confusion, frustration, annoyance, and pain, you would use all of it to bring us closer to you, to grow our faith, to grow our repentance, to grow our trust in you, to uh, bring us to you in prayer more and more. God, we ask that you would um, 
lead and guide and move in all of your infinite wisdom and power throughout our country, throughout our city and our community, throughout our church, that you would be glorified and known to a greater degree here at Redeemer, here in Waco, throughout our country, that you would be known as the gracious, almighty king that you are. And Jesus, we pray that that you and your um, sacrifice on the cross out of love for us, being sent by the Father to die for us, would be more known, would be revealed to a greater degree to our own hearts and our own minds, and more widely spread throughout Waco, throughout our country. God, we pray for uh, the leaders, um, uh, the, the many, many leaders throughout our country that you would guide their steps as a man make, makes plans in his own heart, but you, God, direct and guide steps. And we pray that you would do that for our good and for your glory. As the Bible calls us to pray for kings and those in authority and, and truly all people, we ask for your wisdom to reign, your guidance, your providence, your love would be more known and experienced, that we would know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of your love for us in Jesus, and that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that that would be our ultimate rest, our ultimate peace. Maybe we, we think we know nothing, and nothing's in our control, but you love us, but you love us, and you are powerful, and you are in control, and that's enough. That's enough for us to be able to get some sleep at night and to have some peace. And I pray that you would reveal that more and more in your word, uh, even this morning. We pray all of this because of and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, if you would, we as we're doing a, a revised uh, worship service, we usually have a couple uh, different uh, more elements and aspects of our service. We're going to head right into the Word. If you would grab a Bible, um, there should be a Bible under your chair. You can grab your phone and um, and head to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, our senior pastor, Jeff, he will be out getting some rest like he normally does in the summer for the next four to five weeks. And so here's what I think we're going to do. Well, I don't think. I know we're going to do this morning. And then for the next two weeks, we're going to look at the, doc- the doctrine of adoption. Okay? Um, what does it mean that we're adopted by God? What does it mean? How does it change your daily life and experience? What does the Bible say about it? I think we're going to do that for two or three weeks. Um, and then uh, right now, tentatively, um, uh, Way Rutherford, uh, our college pastor, reach, who, who does all of his work at Baylor campus, is going to be preaching um, right now as the plan for, for two weeks. Uh, here in just a little bit uh, in Hebrews, okay? So that's where we're headed for the next couple weeks. Um, right now we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Um, I started recently reading a book by David Blankenhorn, David Blankenhorn called Fatherless America. And let me just give you a warning. I'm about to read a quote from uh, his book, and we're going to go from 0 to 100 real fast, okay, as I read this quote. Fatherless America, he wrote this, I believe is like 1995, He writes this, a generation ago, so writing in in 1995, a generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his or her father. A, A child could reasonably expect to grow up with his or her father, but today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. It's a reasonable expectation based on the data for a child to say, I might not grow up 
with my father. After the year 2000, so here David is writing, projecting into the future. After the year 2000, he says the U.S. will be a nation divided into two groups, almost equal, almost two equal groups. And the primary fault line dividing these two groups will not be race, religion, class, education, or gender. The dividing line will be whether or not you grew up with a dad. Listen to these stats. About 40% of American kids, this was back in the 90s as this was getting worse and worse. About 40% of American kids go to sleep in homes in which their fathers don't live. Before they reach the age of 18, more than half of our nation's children are likely to spend at least a significant portion of their childhoods living apart from their fathers. A third of, uh, of, of births uh, outside of marriage, a third of all births happen outside of marriage. And at, in at least two out of three of those births, um, the father's never identified. Okay, the place on the birth certificate where you put dad's name, never identified. So Blankenhorn writes and concludes, never before have so many children grown up without knowing what it means to have a father, to have a dad. Now, you and I know this to be true uh, experientially because this might be you, right? This might have been your childhood and your upbringing, or I'm pretty confident that you know a good friend that this describes their upbringing. You know a good friend, um, someone within arm's reach. We, we just know we're experiencing this, whether you know the dad and you know the stats or not. Um, but even if you had a great dad, even if you grew up in a great home, you had a great dad, you had a great upbringing— which many people do, you and I know that, that our soul is not ultimately satisfied. Like there's something else that we yearn for and long for, even if you had a great dad and you had a great mom and you had a great upbringing. There's something in the depth of your soul that's crying out for something more. Something more. There's like this hole that you're still looking to be filled. And Ephesians chapter 1 provides the most unbelievable news, the most astonishing, out-of-this-world, otherworldly news for that whole, for the depth of your soul. So if you would please stand with me, and we're going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. All right, let's say a brief prayer. God, we pray that you would speak to us in your word. We pray that you'd speak to us in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 10. God, that we would leave different. We would leave changed because you spoke to us. As when you speak, um, planets 
and a universe spins into being. We pray that that kind of power would be experienced this morning as you speak through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the cultural picture of fatherlessness we know is bad. We know is bad. That's an understatement we could say is pretty horrific uh, throughout our country. But the Bible presents an even worse picture. You don't have to go there, but in Ephesians 2, Paul starts out with very good news. And then in Ephesians 2, it's kind of like he backtracks a little bit, and he starts showing the context of the good news, the black backdrop. And this is how he describes you and me born into the world. He says we're born into the world strangers. That's strangers to God. Aliens, alienated from God, separated from God. In other words, orphans. He even uses this language. We're born into the world sons of disobedience. He uses the language of sonship to talk about, to talk about in the worst way. He calls us in Ephesians 2, sons of disobedience. He even goes so far to say we are children of wrath. A very dark, a very black backdrop that he says we're born following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan himself. If you remember Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, you remember what he told the Pharisees one time? Um, just, just unleashing on them. He said, <laughs> he said, you're of your father, the devil. Sonship language in the worst kind of way. We are born separated from God, children of wrath, sons of disobedience, needing, needing an ultimate good father. And then Ephesians 1 addresses that head on. Now, if you've ever read Ephesians 1, Jeff preached this probably a couple months ago now. If you've ever read it, you know it's kind of high-flying language, right? You read Ephesians 1, and you're like, what in the world did that just say? You know, it sounds great. It sounds amazing, but it sounds very high-flying. But here's the thing. Paul, in all of his high-flying language that sometimes you read, and you go, what in the world is that saying? Drives to the most intimate picture of your relationship with God. He drives to the most intimate description of our relationship to God in Jesus. He starts like this in verse 3. If you would, look with me in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, starts very big, right? Bless God. We are blessing God. We are praising God. And why are we praising God? Because he has blessed us. We are blessing God because he has he has blessed us. This sounds really good. Not only blessed us, but every spiritual blessing, right? I don't even know what they all are, but apparently they're all mine in Jesus, all of them. How many are there? I don't know. What are they? I'm not sure, but they're all mine. This is real big, and this is starting real big. Now, how has he blessed us, though? This sounds great, but what does that actually on the ground really mean? What did he do? Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so this is starting to get pretty good, right? Okay, he has blessed us. What does that really mean? Well, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Whatever that means, okay? What, if you're sitting there going, what is that? Whatever that means sounds good. You see me, God. You see me. You know me. You know my name. You chose me. Sounds amazing. Chose me for what? Chose me for what? What is the purpose of this choosing? What, what's going on? Well, he, he continues right there. He chose us that we would be holy and blameless before him. Okay, this is amazing. 
sons of disobedience, children of wrath, following the devil, but, but chosen to be holy, chosen to be blameless before God. This is, this is astounding, right? This is astounding. Now, you might still, this maybe still doesn't fully touch the ground, though, for you and me, right? Because this might be like a, like a father walking in an orphanage, right? All these kids who need a dad, who need mom and dad, and saying, I see you. I see you. I know you. I know your name. And I approve of you. I approve of you. I accept you. I don't have any judgment for you, you know? Before me, you're blameless. Before me, you're holy. Before me, no judgment, right? I mean, that's great, right? That's great, but what now? What now? I mean, does the father just leave the orphanage and, and you just go, oh, before him, I'm blameless. Okay. What now? Well, what does that mean for me, right? So Paul keeps driving and he drives into the most intimate of descriptions of our new relationship to God through Jesus. And he says this in love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. How has God blessed us? How has he blessed us? We are blessing him because he's blessed us. How has he blessed us? He chose us in him in all of his wisdom before the foundation of the world, according to his will and his purpose, to be holy and blameless sons and daughters of his. Holy and blameless, totally accepted, totally approved, totally welcome. Not friends, not just friends or teammates, but sons and daughters, uh, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, now adopted, now welcome, welcome home with the Father. This reality of sonship, this reality of adoption and sonship is present in the Old Testament. Okay, if you remember, Israel is called what? God's son. So this isn't brand new language, um, but, but in the New Testament, the language of sonship and adoption absolutely explodes. Uh, one German scholar doing research on this said that in all existing books of the Old Testament and in all existing books of extra-biblical uh, Jewish writings, so Jewish writings outside of the Bible, dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 900s A.D., in Italy, there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as father. How wild is that? I mean, you and I, that's weird to us, maybe, because we're used to this language exploding in the New Testament of sonship and God the Father and this and that, but, but it took a very controversial Jewish rabbi to show up going by the name of Jesus, to start praying to God as Father, Father, Father. Uh, in all of Jesus' recorded prayers, he addresses God as Father, except for one prayer. In almost all of them, he addresses God as Father, and he took major heat for that. How dare you speak in such intimate language to God? And then this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, the Son of God, guess what he starts doing? Telling his disciples to do the same. I mean, how, how controversial. I mean, the audacity to tell these 
riffraff disciples to speak to God as Father. He's my Father and He's your Father. And then in the New Testament, it just explodes. All believers, if you believe in Jesus, you're called a son of God, a daughter of God. We're taught to pray how? Pray our Father. Right? This is pivotal to our salvation. This is so central to salvation. This idea that we are sons and daughters of God. J.I. Pack, Packer says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. He goes on, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption, being adopted by God, having God, knowing God as your close father is central to everything we believe and everything about our salvation and everything about the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul here has the a Roman idea of adoption in mind. When he says that we are predestined for adoption, he has the Roman world, uh, the Roman world's idea of adoption. Adoption was normal and prevalent in the Roman world. And this is how it worked. If someone wanted to adopt uh, a child, um, when that adoption was legally confirmed, completed, that child, whatever their past or that adult, because even adults would be adopted um, at times, all of their back, uh, background historical debts totally canceled. Uh, their previous name changed. They're given a new name, a new family. Their previous aim and purpose given a, a new purpose, new family, new name. This man who used to be just a random stranger to them is now their father. Everything's brand new. And get this, in the Roman world... Um, a father could disown his natural-born children, but he could never disown his adopted kids, ever. In the Roman world, you could say, my son isn't worthy of my inheritance, so I'm writing him out of my will, even disowning him. An adopted child, an adopted son or daughter, could never happen. It is utterly and forever permanent. That is the idea of adoption that Paul has in mind here. That we are predestined and chosen and seen by the Father and brought home and given a completely new status. God was once this stranger to me. We were even enemies, the Bible would say, and now, now he's my Father. Now he's my Father. And I, I've been given a new name, a new purpose, a new status, new everything. And all of my debts completely canceled. Everything I owed, every, every debt to my name completely wiped away, completely canceled. We move from having zero blessing outside of Christ, no blessing outside of Christ. We move from that place to being in Christ, and now there's no blessing that we don't have, if I said that right. We have it all. We go from having nothing to literally having absolutely everything. In Ephesians 1, it could say anything. It could say we're predestined to be friends with God. And we are. That's true. We are. 
but, but notice the difference, right? I mean, you and I have friends that we might speak to once a year. You know what I mean? They move away and we speak to them like once a year, but we still would say, they're my best friend. Like forever, they're my best friend. We'll talk on the phone once a year. But imagine saying, I haven't spoke to my son in a year. Totally different. Totally different kind of relationship. It would be astounding for Paul to say, you've been brought home to God as a friend, as a close friend. But your friends don't take on a new name. They don't take on your name, right? Um, No, no, he says you've been adopted. You take on God's name, child of God, son of God, daughter of God, new purpose, new family, new status, new life. Now, you might wonder, why me? Why me? Why in the world would God adopt me as his son or daughter? Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Why me? Why you? It's grace. It's grace. It's mercy. It is, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with you being qualified. Really, the only qualification is that you're completely and utterly disqualified, okay, and unworthy. Um, It has nothing to do with you. This is like a father walking into an orphanage going, I see you. I know you. I know your name. I approve of you. Before me, there's no judgment. I accept you. It's not for anything in you. It's not because you did anything. It's not because you earned anything. And now you're coming home with me. And I've got a room in my house for you. And I've got a seat at my table for you. You're coming home with me. Why, why me? It has nothing to do with you. It's all according to his will and his grace. And if, and if it has nothing to do with you and your works, if you didn't earn your way in, you can't earn your way out. If he didn't adopt you and love you and bless you in Jesus because of your works, then your works aren't going to get you out. It is a permanent, forever, eternal adoption. Now, how was this accomplished? And this is where we'll land this plane. How was this accomplished? Um, if If an adopted child has all of his debts canceled, like his slate is totally wiped clean, he's given a completely brand new life and new future, Um, How does that happen? We know that in adoption today here in Waco, um, it costs everything to adopt a child. Now, locally, you might, I think, get paid by the city or paid by the county. Um, Internationally, you might spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to adopt a child. Either way, it costs you everything, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, you bring home a child and you're giving them everything. They're getting your inheritance, They're getting everything. You're paying for everything. You're giving them everything you've got. All of your energy, all of your time, all of your finances. Adopting a child is very costly. And the New Testament shows that to be true of your adoption to God and my adoption to God. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says that in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In these um, 14 or so verses, Paul, somewhere around 11 times, almost one time per 
verse speaks of all of this being in Christ. In Christ. In Jesus. Because of Jesus. On the basis of Jesus. Something like 80 to 90 times in the New Testament, Paul uses that phrase. In him. In Christ. Through Christ. In the beloved. And the point is this. Uh, you and I are adopted through faith in Jesus, and it cost everything. It's redemption in blood. For you to be adopted and for me to be adopted by God, for him to have that kind of ridiculous, extravagant kind of love for you meant sending his own son because someone had to die. Like we're not talking someone had to cut a check. Someone had to die. Someone had to shed their own blood. Someone had to make a sacrifice for you. This is the costly love of God to come after you and to bring you home. Someone had to shed blood in Jesus. You are found. I am found. And we're brought home to the Father that our souls would finally have ultimate Rest. This is the basis of your adoption. The basis of your adoption to God is the Father sending the Son, the Son, the worthy Son, the eternal Son, to then go to a place where he is forsaken, forsaken like an orphan on the cross, that he would then cry out on the cross, my God, my God. The God that he again and again and again and again addressed as Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And the answer, the answer is because I have sons and daughters I need to bring home. I have sons and daughters that I've got a room in my house for, that I've got a place at my table for. So the son was forsaken so that you could come home so that you would be home and come home forever, never experiencing being forsaken by God, always knowing him as your heavenly father who is near and who loves you and cares for you and will never let you go. So we are adopted because the perfect, obedient son of God was forsaken for us and was forsaken for you on the cross. And our adoption is in, through, and because of him. You didn't earn it. You receive it by faith, and you can never lose it. You can never work your way out of it. So what do we do now? What do we do now? If, when we read this text, you probably noticed Paul say, this is all to the praise of God's glorious grace. This is to the praise of his glory, the praise of his glorious grace. I just want to say one thing. Most of the time we think about praise in kind of stoic terms, you know? Um, and I don't just mean redeemer. I just mean like Christians. We, we think about to the praise of, praise your grace and, and, and praising God and blessing God, you know. Um, I've got to put on my best suit, you know, and make sure I'm all ready and polished to praise God, right? Think about the context of Ephesians 1, though. The context is a bunch of kids in awe of their father, is it not? It's a bunch of sons and daughters who have been wildly chosen by God and brought home as adopted sons and daughters in awe that God would love them. I mean, think about it. If you're a parent, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, 
one of the greatest things i've got three kids i know i look like i'm 16 years old but i've got three kids and um one of the greatest compliments i could one of the greatest things that could ever happen to me is that when my now one and a half and three and a half year olds if that's how old they are um when they grow up if they one day tell someone or tell me my dad is my hero that's like i would give i would give up everything to be able to hear that my dad is my hero i want to be just like my dad that's like what's happening in ephesians 1 it's a bunch of sons and daughters who've been adopted by god through costly love the son of god being slain on the cross, rising from the dead to bring them home. And they're just in awe. God is my hero. He's my hero. I was a son of disobedience and now I'm adopted and I didn't do anything and he just loves me and he sent Jesus for me and he adopted me. He's just my hero to the praise of his glorious grace. He's my hero. I want to be just like him. I want to be with him. I want to be near him. I want to trust him. I want to walk with him. He's just my hero. Ephesians 1 is just getting lost. It's getting, as John Calvin said, getting lost in the astonishing love of God for you and me. And so, you could take that as an encouragement this morning to just be lost in the astonishing love of God that he would adopt you. To see God as your near and intimate father that you could go, man, God, you're my hero. You're my hero. I trust you. I love you. I worship you. God, I want to be just like you. All right, let's pray. Let's pray and then let's sing and celebrate uh, this great love of God. God, we thank you. Um, we thank you for this. We thank you for our adoption as sons and daughters who... God, we deserve to be left in our sin. We deserve that. We don't deserve you. We didn't do anything to catch your attention. And yet, here we are. Yet, here we are called sons and daughters because of Jesus and through faith in Jesus. I thank you that it is in Christ and because of the blood of Christ and through our faith in him, receiving him, that we, we can count ourselves and consider ourselves a son of God, a daughter of God. And I pray that we would more and more, I pray that this would be our daily task to, to explore the depth of your love, that you would be so kind and so tender and so powerful and so loving and so gracious to us. I pray this would be daily for us, to explore this, to, to let this dominate our whole understanding of you and of Christianity and the Bible and the gospel. And I pray it would lead us again and again to sing as sons and daughters who are just in awe of our Father as our hero. And so, God, we say you are our God and our Father, and we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand, let's sing. Uh, we're going to sing, and then we'll hear uh, a benediction. Head out. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I hear you call. Father, 
together. Oh Lord, we receive your grace. All right, go in peace.